0: to Acts chapter 27. I'll get there in a minute. Believe me, you won't think I'm going to, but I will. It's a two-part message on um, knowing your depth, okay? I want you to know your depth, and I want you to understand the liberty that is available to you. Number one, on your sheet, if you don't have one, raise your hand. Um, Somebody in a bright red hat will come along and hand you a piece of paper. That is not a reference to the Georgia Bulldogs, number one in the nation (laughs) for the third straight year, 21 straight wins at home. Thank you. In any way, shape or form that has nothing to do with that. Raise your hand if you need one. Okay. Number one, what do we mean when we say living in the freedom of Christ? What do we mean by that? Like, you know, we live in the land of the free, the land of the brave. What does it mean? What do you mean, free? Well, don't think of it as a civic or governmentally promised freedom, as important as that is. Think of it as people who are living in a freedom of Christ live with a completeness, they live with a wholeness that leads to a holiness. They live above the nagging peer pressure, expectations of others. They live free of codependence. They live free of uh, having to please everyone, Uh, to wear a mask. They live free of masking how they feel. They can be transparent and open and honest and truthful. Um, They know the truth, and they have the freedom to rely upon The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, not the universe, not chance, not randomness, not some other religion. They understand that there's a freedom provided for them by their Lord who took on our bondage that we might be free. It is a it's a liberating life. It's a life without besetting sin. It's a life where sin doesn't so easily entangle you. It's a life where you're the head and not the tail where you make decisions and volitions and seek your god and you're not you're not driven by your own flesh flesh your your own lust your own desires your own cravings your own need to please or be important your identity is rooted and shaped in Christ free that's freedom you don't have to perform to be acceptable and you don't need to be condemned to know that you're a sinner it is a freedom of growing beyond stagnation, where you don't just plateau, you move forward. You press on toward the goal to win the prize to which you become he- that you've been called heavenward in Christ Jesus. Freedom, freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free, Galatians 5 and 1. You're free from the fear of death. You're free to live the abundant life. You're enveloped in grace, shrouded with mercy. In fact, goodness and mercy pursue you like slobbering golden retrievers. They pursue you your whole life. You look around, they're chasing you all the time. Goodness and mercy, goodness and mercy, goodness and mercy. That's freedom. But many times, number two, many times in life, a lack of depth accompanies a lack of freedom. We need depth. We need a depth in our relationship with the Lord. Wait till we get next year to lordship, to the, to the, to the subject of lordship, maturity, seasoning, selflessness, dying to self, obedience out of love. But right now, we're talking about a need for depth. And if you lack depth in your relationship with God, then you more than likely, if not now, you soon will lack depth, which will lead to a lack of freedom. Paul puts it this way to the, in a, cir- a circular letter to the churches in Asia. We call it Galatians. Galatians 5, 19 and 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentiousness, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in the time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These these heart cries for meaning, attention, purpose, validation, affirmation, Cries, behavioral cries for love and acceptance, willing to settle for so much less than what Christ has provided for us. These, these ways of living that look pleasurable but lead to deep pain, deep bondage, deep remorse, lack of respect. The way many of us used to be, but depth, of an understanding, depth of experience, depth of wisdom, depth of relational friendship with Christ has led us out of that bondage and we no longer hurt ourselves. I'll tell you some of of the greatest, the devil gets a lot of credit. I don't like giving him credit. I would say that people, for a lack of depth, probably hurt themselves more than our enemy does. Most self-inflicted wounds are far deeper and far painful, bad decisions, even, even self-mutilation. We get to that point in society today where we just don't have depth. We hurt others, we hurt ourselves. Vanity is important to us. Flattery is important to uh, people with no depth. Com- we complain, we whine, we blame people. All the time blaming other people. That's a, that's a sign of superficiality, a sign of a lack of depth. No depth. Everyone else is always wrong. Everyone else is always out to get us. That's a lack of depth. No way around it. Ingratitude, dishonesty, dishonesty a misunderstanding of masculinity and femininity. Masculinity is defined differently in the world than it is the church, in the heart and the mind of Christ. A true man is a servant. He loves his wife like Christ loved the church and gives himself up for her. We get into all these different gyrations of understanding do we conform to the world do we not do we go too far do we not go far enough and in the end of the end of the day we need depth depth number 3 what do we mean when we say we're living in the depth of Christ well i want to put it this way it's a <laughs> If you understand who Christ is and his splendor and his the wonderment of who he is, the mystery of having a relationship with him, the astounding scope of his love, I mean, how many superlatives you want to place on him, go ahead and do it. How could we look at the Bible and understand who he is, understand what he's done in us, through us, around us, and how he's protected us and blessed us? How could we? see all of that, and then, and then, not be all in. How, how could we muster the personal audacity to say, I'll throw this Lord a bone to please him temporarily. I'll, I'll drop by church every now and again, creating some sort of superficial appearance of depth, but there's nothing there. You see, he tells us to be all in. We have to respond, and we have the choice and the freedom to do so. See, it's not freedom unless you have the freedom to reject it. The United States flag is not a symbol of freedom if you don't have the freedom to burn it. That's freedom. Right? So you can reject, I can reject this statement that I want you, number one, the number one thing I want you to do is loving with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. It's an all-in proposition. It's nothing less than that. You can't rationalize anything less than that. You can't biblically find anything in the scripture that condones a less-than-all-in relationship. It doesn't exist. So if you're not at an all-in place, your freedom is limited. You're living a less than free life by your less than all inness. You see that? There's no middle ground. He says you're either for me or you're against me. You're either all in or you're not. I, this, I'm going to give you an example of something that happened to me one time. And, but it's happened 40 times. A young man is getting closer and closer to making um, uh, the second most important decision of his life. The first one is to give his life and heart to Christ. The second one is to marry a young woman, or I guess an old woman. That's a big decision. If I've seen this once, I've seen it 50 times. Not knowing really where he stands in terms of his spiritual, how he's read spiritually, his possible fiance is looking at him, probably listening to someone whispering in her ear, and she's saying... I just just wish he was at a better place with the Lord. And she's also saying to herself, I wish he was at a better place in the Lord because if he was, I too would be. That's not always verbalized. What she's not saying is, I wish he would go to church with me more often. No, she's not gonna say, she might say that, but that's not what she means. What she means is, I long for, I want, and frankly, my family may have even prayed for this for the last three decades. I want someone who has a substantial walk with the Lord. A lack of depth quantifies Christianity, quantifies it with numbers. Some people do it like I've read through the Bible, I don't know how many times, or I haven't. I've attended church X amount of times, or I was baptized in this church, and then I came here. And somehow number, I don't even know where numbers even came into the conversation, but numbers make their way into the conversation, and to create this illusion of depth And you know what? It looks okay. It really does. It looks good. But listen to me. (laughs) Some of you, I've been here 15 years. I can't. I can't name one time. Maybe you can. Maybe more than one. I'm not aware of where I've dogged people about not coming to church. Have you ever heard me say that? You can... You could have a deeper walk with Christ and sporadically attend church. And you could attend church all the time and lack any kind of depth whatsoever. I'm trying to make a point here. Nobody's keeping score around here. Depth. How do you measure that? It's measured by your witness it's measured by your integrity it's measured by your character it's measured by how you do business it's measured by I guess if you wanted to measure it with a number I guess on some level you could measure it by your giving I I don't do that but I guess you could on some level that makes sense biblically but depth so the young man is like what do I do? And bless his heart, he has, has no idea. He, I'm not faulting him at all. He has no idea at this particular juncture in his life of what the Lord is calling him to. And I'm not sure anyone ever told him. What he needs is depth. The depth that he has and the depth that she has is going to determine the depth of the marriage and the relationship and what can they withstand, what pressures, what trials, what tribulations, what situations. Depth. If you have depth, you can endure in freedom. If you lack depth, you're in trouble. You're you're far less free then the Lord will want you to. Consider who you might be saying no to when it comes to going all in. Lord, you know, to be honest with you, thank you. Good that you died. Rose again. Appreciate your availability. Not now. No, not yet. Later. Later. I've got you <laughs> slotted for Later. You're on the back burner. I don't need whatever you got for me right now. I'll take some, the good stuff, preferably, but not everything. Not the dying to self and the sacrifice and the, and the confession, the repentance. Not the, not the lordship thing. Not now. Think about that. Lack of liberty. I was at men's challenge uh, recently. And I was watching these guys. They're, they're there for a year, and all they're trying to do is get sober. And the, and the head of the ministry was in the back, and he kind of halfway wonders what I'm going to say half the time. And you can tell he gets, you know, like, oh my gosh, what's he going to say up there? I said, to, I said, You guys are here for 12 months. Some of you have babies at home. Some of you have babies in different homes. Some of you have girlfriends, some of you have wives, some of you don't have any girlfriends or wives that have babies in two or three homes. And you're here to get sober. I said, you're here for the wrong reason. That really bums them out. I said, you need to be here to build a relationship with Christ first that leads itself to sobriety second. Second. The last thing you need to do is leave this place after one year worshiping sobriety and not Christ. My favorite life verse, hope it comes up at my funeral. Philippians 3 and 10, I want to know Christ and the power His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. So somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. All I want to do in my life is know Christ. That's it. I want an ever-increasing knowledge of Christ. An ever-increasing experiential knowledge of Christ. And if you want to add in an ever-increasing academic understanding of Christ, fine. But that's way down the list. I just want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. You have to. You have to. To have the, the freedom that God has for you, you have to be in a place where you want God more than what you want God to do for you. You can't want him for what he can do for you. You have to want him for who he is and what he's already done for you. We'll get to the other stuff later. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things will be added unto you. Don't worry about those things. Those are indirect comebacks to the fact that you are all in on the idea that the the one who died on your behalf who was sinless and took on the punitive damage that you caused by your own sin and rose from the dead and gave you eternal life, that's enough. That is enough. If that's not enough, you are conforming to the pattern of this world or this culture you live in because this culture says if one is good, two is better. If two is good, three is better. If three is good, 10 is better. No, you just need one, period, Christ. That's it. Everything else flows out of that. In fact, you don't even have to ask for the things that you would have asked him for. He'll give them to you. All you have to do is pursue him. Seek him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Seek his kingdom. That's all you have to do. That's depth. To seek him for what he can do for you, listen. That's incompleteness. That's a string attached. You're placing a string, an attachment, a qualifier, a condition on a God who loves you unconditionally. Enough of that. I sat in a waiting room at 4 a.m. with a three-year-old son who was going to die literally any hour. And I had to wrestle. I was forced to wrestle with giving him up and being okay with that so that, and I would worship you, I'll worship you for the rest of my life and I'll serve you for the rest of my life. I'll, I'll worship you and serve you and I'll, and I'll make you known any and everywhere you send me first, even if you take him. And that was the beginning of his healing. God has to be first to have depth. Your whims, your pleasures, your desires, your impulses, your frivolity, all the things you you and I think we want, they're so far down the list it's not funny. He's number one. That's depth. Depth looks like humility, teachability, love, confession. Saying something as radical as, I'm glad you're sitting down, I was wrong. When's the last time you heard somebody say that? Hey, I was wrong. I was wrong. I really hurt you. I'm sorry. I was wrong. I was out of line. Please forgive me. When's the last time anybody ever heard that? Anywhere. I was wrong. That's depth. Obedience, generosity, wisdom. I throw it in there, and I haven't quite grasped it yet, but love for your enemies. I just put it in there in case you think you got it all figured out. You don't. You don't. Anonymity. Selflessness, insightfulness, discernment, submission to authority, servitude. Listen to your prayer life. It'll, it'll reveal your depth. Is your prayer for a greater love for him and a greater abandonment to him? And is your prayer for others? And then is it for you or is it inverted? Gimme, gimme, my name's Jimmy. Elijah came out of that cave. Uh, he, he came out of that cave and just he was just bombarded. Do you know what swirl is? I call it swirl. Swirl is when your thoughts get into this uh, tornadic, kind of cyclone-like pattern in your head and they just seem to build on one another and worry anxiety helplessness no hope hopelessness and you find it just swirling you can't stop it you're just worried anxiety you're living about six months down the road before it's ever gotten here you're missing out on the six minutes that you just wasted where you're supposed to live. You're so far down the road and everything's falling apart, swirled its way out of control into some sort of a tsunami of anxiety. That's Elijah. He comes out of the cave and there's an earthquake. God wasn't in the earthquake. Of course he wasn't. The dude had already been shaken up enough. What, what, what more shaking do you need to put into this guy's life? He's like trembling. He wasn't in the fire. Of course he went into fire. He's already been tested and refined. He's already run from half the people in the world that are out to kill him. He wasn't in the wind either. I'll tell you where depth is found. You take your cloak, your jacket, your prayer shawl, your blanket, your blankie, and you pull it up over your head, and you get alone, and you don't say a word. You're still. You know that he's God. The swirl subsides. You listen. He's heard you a blue million times. Just shh, quiet. Every part of your being is receptive, no part of your being is dictatorial. You just sit. For the first time in a long time, you're a human being, not a human doing. Just about when that gets awkward, you're probably halfway to where you need to be and just shh. It's still enough and quiet enough to feel his warm, sweet breath on your cheek. That's where you need to be. That's depth. He's Lord. He speaks. You listen. You respond. Shh. That's it. So how do we attain this depth so as to live in the freedom of Christ? Some of us are going to need counseling. We're going to need a mentor. We're going to need the right spiritual environment, the right spiritual family. We're going to have to allow ourselves to get known by other people. God's vertical relationship, as important as it is, is only enhanced by the horizontal relationships that we have in our life. We exist to be in relationship with one another and a church so, as to create the adequate amount of friction, challenge, misunderstanding, unity, togetherness, camaraderie, compassion, whatever's necessary is fueled by those horizontal relationships. And we have to use those relationships and sometimes the friction between us to grow with depth. It doesn't work in a vacuum. I was goofing around the other day talking about the men's retreat. I think I have a slide for this. This slide is um, church puzzled by low attendance at its sit-around-and-talk-about-your-feelings men's conference. (laughs) There are some things that are essential, if not an integral part of growing In depth, we need each other to do that. Community and family is the opposite of diminished exposure and hiding from one another. Fear, shame, and hiding is what got us in this mess. We don't need to hide from one another. Let's look at Acts 27. Acts 27, verse 28. This is bizarre. They're on a ship. There's a storm. It's going to be a crash situation. It's not good. And they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little farther, they took soundings again and found it to be 15 fathoms. What are soundings? Well, when you're in a ship the first century, you really need to know how deep the water is. I mean, it's kind of important. No computers, okay? So they have these ropes that are weighted and they drop them down into the water and when the, water, when the rope becomes slack, that means they hit the bottom, it tells you, based on the distance of the rope, how deep the water is and how many fathoms it is. A fathom is six feet. For most of you, from your nose to the end of your finger, is three feet. For me, it's three foot three. Because I'm six foot six. I'm five foot eighteen. Six feet in the Bible is a big deal. Six feet is how how far you're supposed to stay away from a leper. That's where this COVID six feet thing came from. It's true. You're supposed to say six feet apart from a leper. We're buried six feet underground because that was the, the, the decision that you're less likely to be uh, like the lawnmower's going to get you. Or that your scent is available up above. That's true. I read it in everything. For those of you who have uh, been to Israel, there was... Um, there's a town, Betshion. It's a town where uh, King Saul was hung. His body, dead body, was hung on the wall there. And um, years ago, there was a man cutting his grass in his field, and he hit this uh, rock, kind of thing, granite. And he tried to dig it out of his field. Come to find out, it was a 30-foot, <laughs> 30-foot uh, pillar, Roman pillar and that began the excavation because under his field was the entire town of Bet-Shion. He, he uncovered three inches of the highest pillar and didn't realize he owned land on top of the whole entire town of bet They dug down about 60 feet. Depth, six feet is depth enough they say. So, depth measurements. In our spiritual life, we need to know how deep the water is. We need to know if we have the sufficient depth to handle the trials that come our way. For the ship, it was important. It was important for the following reasons. If they knew that the soundings were saying that they were getting... They were getting closer and closer and more and more shallow water. If they had to run to ship aground, they needed to know that because that was their last resort. If they needed to get out of the storm, they needed to know what direction the deeper water was so they could set out in that direction. If you're not growing in depth, you're not growing. You need, I need Depth. Depth is a rootedness and an establishedness into good soil to grow in Christ for the inevitable trials that come our way in a fallen, broken, shattered world. We need depth. What is your spiritual depth? Have you already run aground? This ship, when it ran aground, the front was affixed In the sand, the back was battered from every direction by the wind and the waves. If you're battered from every direction on your backside, from the wind and the waves, from life, in all kinds of matters, you may have run aground, friend. We need to get you out in some deep water where you can maneuver, make decisions, you need the church and the church needs you. You need to be in relationship with people who have done been that direction already. That's how it's supposed to work. Please don't come to me and tell me how many times you've been to church. I'm the most disinterested in that answer as anyone can be. I'm the most interested in are you growing in depth? Are you able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and height and depth of the love of Christ? Got some things I want to read you as I close. If you stop and ask yourself why you're not as devoted as the early Christians your own your own heart will tell you that it's neither through ignorance nor inability but purely because you never thoroughly intended it. Oh, it's painful. If you intend, if you purpose, if you resolve to have a very close relationship with Christ, you will accomplish your goal. He will be the number one person helping you do that. Amy Carmichael once penned these thoughts. Sometimes we read the words of those who have been more than conquerors. We feel almost despondent. I feel that I shall never be like that. But they won through step by step, by little bits of wills, little denials of self, little inward victories by faithfulness in the very things. They became what they are. Not, no one sees these little hidden steps. They only see the accomplishment. But even so, these small steps were taken. There is no sudden triumph, no spiritual maturity. That is the work of the moment. It is overwhelming to think that we need to catapult ourselves into a maturity that leads to depth. It has to be minuscule in its attainment. It has to be a daily, moment by moment, giving over, being open to instruction, humbling thyself, being obedient to the scripture. Let, let someone else who's, who's already accomplished and, and gotten victory in that area to help you, and it's attainable. Let me, put, let me speak your language. None of you is going to shoot par. But you'll get pretty close if you practice your short irons a little bit every day. You know how your distance needs to be and how fast your swing needs to be. I personally stink at golf for this reason. Everybody wants me to play and I don't want to be good because they would think I'd never do anything at work. Seems to be working out. Very low expectations. <laughs> C.S. Lewis on the freedom of reaching maturity. When I was 10, I read fairy tales in secret and would, not have, and would have been ashamed if I had been found out doing so. Now I'm 50. I read them openly. When I became a man, I put away childish things. The fear of someone thinking I was immature true man of God is childlike, not childish. Though many of us have seen pictures of huge eagles' nests high in the branches of a tree or in the crag of a cliff, few of us have gotten a glimpse inside. When a mother eagle builds her nest, she starts with thorns, broken branches, sharp rocks, and a number of other items that seem entirely unsuitable for the project. When she lines the nest with a thick padding of wool, feathers, and fur from animals she has has killed, making it soft and comfortable for the eggs, by the time the growing birds reach flying age, the comfort of the nest and the luxury of free meals make them quite reluctant to leave. Sound like anybody you know? That's when the mother eagle begins stirring the nest. With her strong talent, she begins picking up the thick carpet and fur and feathers, bringing the sharp rocks and branches to the surface. As more of the bedding gets plucked up, the nest becomes more uncomfortable for the young eagles. Eventually, this and other urgings <laughs> that's me. I'm the other urgings guy <laughs> prompt the growing eagles to leave their once comfortable abode and move on. Move on! Move on! Move on. To more I added two move ons there. To more mature behavior. Wow, how true. Death. So what do we do? Six steps I'm going to give you, and I'm going to expound on them next week. Starts with First Thessalonians five and twenty three. May God God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Step one sin. You've got to realize it's our nature. We're born in it. We didn't have anything to do with it, but we're born in it. And we can't change that. And we live in a fallen world. You don't get any further than that, you're in trouble. If you don't understand sin, you don't have the, any understanding of a need for a Savior or forgiveness or confession or repentance. You don't. You have to start with the fact that, yeah, there is sin, and I'm, I'm in it, and I do it. Step two, we're gonna need some outside help. We've already proven what we can do on our own. We can sin, and we're pretty good at it, some of us. We need some help from beyond us. We don't need to hire us to run the rest of our life. We need to hire Christ to run the rest of our life. We need to relinquish that authority to him, which is already his. We need outside help overcoming sin, the consequences of sin, and we need a loving Lord. Three, we must be born again. That's not negotiable. You have to enter into a new relationship with Christ where you relinquish your sin, ask for forgiveness, confess it. Repent, receive his finished work on the cross. You have to be born again to turn our lives over to Christ as described in the Bible. The Christ in the Bible, the Christ in the Bible, the Christ in the Bible, not anyone else's version, the Christ in the Bible. Did I get that out? Confession, forgiveness, repentance. Step four start getting specific. Know what needs addressing in your life and prepare to start a process. Take under advisement the profound wisdom and looking at your life and realizing who you are and who you're not and where you need work. Next step five, get some other people involved with you a mentor figure, a Paul or a Paula. If it needs clarification, guys, you get a Paul, women, you get a Paula. We begin to walk out that relationship of mentorship. And six, a willingness to allow the Spirit of God to displace these issues in your life. We have to get to the point where we understand what God's role is in getting these things out of us, displacing them with his presence, and how we respond to that. We're going to talk about that more next week. So we come now to Holy Eucharist. Um, Eucharist means thanks, thanksgiving. Charis means grace, thanks for the grace. Very simple way of putting it. On the night our Lord was betrayed, he took the bread and he blessed it, broke it, gave it to him, he said, Take ye, this is my body broken for you. There were many cups on the table for Passover. These disciples, their whole entire life, had been to this meal time and time and time again. There was all kinds of cups, all kinds of wine. There was all kinds of eating going on for Passover. But this was strangely different. It was intentionally unique. When it got to the cup, he said, this is my blood. That meal became sacramental. It became, at the root of the definition of sacramental, mysterious. Said another way, no one can fully explain the mystery of the blood of Christ but the Father. This is the cup of the new covenant, my blood, shed for the forgiveness of sins. They had, up until that point, thought often of lambs and blood over there. Doorpost. On this night, that cup of suffering had become cup of redemption. How odd that must have been! Not even having the proper amount of time to digest what had just happened, Peter finds himself denying his Lord three times that evening. No time for. Pondering that in her heart as the Virgin Mary had done when she first heard from Gabriel. She would be with child. No no time to ponder. No nine months of understanding. Hardly time to digest the fact that he had just, in keeping with traditions of their faith, taking one of the most sacred high holidays they've ever experienced... And inserted his blood into the program, into the liturgy. I get the sense they knew what they didn't know. They had known all along, but they hadn't yet embraced it. They expected it, but yet it sort of surprised them. What a meal! We're going to have this meal and I'm going to be the lamb. The lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. It's uh, astounding. I I need more time. Well, there was no more time. The time had come. And anyway, how much time do you really need to prepare for such a thing? Jewish scholars had thousands of years and had yet to figure it out. Blood of the Lamb is at hand and the broken body of Christ. Drink ye all of it, he said. In a way, it's good. You'll never want to get used to understanding it. Because if you could fully understand it, somebody could fully explain it away. It is what it is. It's the blood of God shed for the forgiveness of sin. We, in our limited capacity to fully understand the divinity, Trust that it is the blood of God. And we, with thanksgiving, partake of the meal. Step number one, you were born with a sin nature. You can't change that. You did nothing to deserve it. It just is. And it has to be rectified to come into the presence of an almighty, pristine, holy sinless God the only avenue is for someone in your stead sinless as well to take upon your sin as a sacrificial lamb and bring it to the sea of forgetfulness that you may have a way to the Father you must be born again If you want depth of resolve, commitment, of blessing, of friendship with Christ, you have to be born again. Is there anyone here that has a need for, I didn't ask you if you went to church, a need for Jesus Christ? Apply his finished work of redemption to your heart, that your sins are forgiven as you confess them, and you're available to him and he to you to walk in the depth of his love. Is anyone here that needs to be saved? Should have raise your hand. I want to pray for you. You need new life in Christ, you need an alpha leads you to Omega, the beginning and the end. Is that you today? All right, we're going to come to this meal. This is open to all believers. Take that wafer and broken body of Christ. Put it in the cup, the blood of the lamb. remember and renew and be restored and reminded of the forgiveness of your sin the clearing of your conscience as a vessel of the power of the Spirit of God let's pray Father we come to the table some limping, some broken some hurting, some victorious but we come with one thing in common Partake of your brokenness on our behalf and the shedding of your blood that we might be redeemed. In Jesus' name, amen. As the communicants would come forward, please take their station. Come examining yourselves. Come willingly in humility to partake of this mysterious sacrament and return to your seat with greater liberty than you had when you entered the sanctuary. For you have, at that point, taken sanctuary with Christ. Amen.